everyone. This is Adam Meister, the Bitcoin Meister, the Disrupt Meister. Welcome to the This Week in Bitcoin show. Today is August the 14th, 2020. Strong hand, buy and hold. This game is not rigged. Buying over crying, personal responsibility is the new counterculture. I'm offended by selling. Bitcoin is the next Bitcoin. Oi, we got a lot to talk about today, man. I just sound like ACDC. Oi. All right, uh, we have a lot to talk about today, and uh, we got Al's Lacrosse making his debut on the show. Adam Hoddleberry is back, and uh, David Bennett is also back. Hey guys, TechBalt, I am on Twitter. Tweet it out. All right, dudes, uh, one day closer to an all-time high. Hello, my elite friends in the chat. If you got questions, I got answers. Probably, although we got a lot on the. Uh, you could type in a super chat or. Uh, to get my attention somehow. So let, let's start off with, I think the biggest uh, news of the week was uh, was the uh, primary treasury reserve asset. Bitcoin is the primary treasury reserve asset of MicroStrategy, which is a, a publicly traded uh, company. They they bought up a, a bunch of, of Bitcoin. I think this is the biggest uh, Bitcoin story of 2020, actually. And uh, I want to hear what the, the guys think here. So we'll We'll start with uh, David Bennett. Uh, is it the biggest uh, story of 2020? Oh, I don't know. 2020 is not done. God only knows what comes so next. So far, so far in terms of in terms of Bitcoin, so far, yeah, kind of because it goes a little bit deeper than that. Uh, I covered it on my podcast today. Was that you know we were talking about MicroStrategy buying what was it? Uh, 21 was it 21,000 bitcoin it was like 250 yes. million it was, it was it was over it was over 21,000 so over. you know it, it's also clear that they had been accumulate or seems clear that they'd been accumulating that for a while that they didn't just flat market buy one day so this has been it would appear that this has been in the works for a while but even further than that is that in my, in just my opinion because i don't know what the investment contracts look like for BlackRock and Vanguard, but they're two, those two companies hold are large investors in MicroStrategy. If I was investing a large chunk of capital into, into another company, I would not be signing that agreement unless, or I would not be signing an agreement that said something like, well, we can do with your money, whatever we, we want to do without informing you. So my thesis here is that not only did MicroStrategy say that they were going to do this and then did, but that both the people or the teams behind BlackRock and Vanguard also knew the plan, also approved the plan and wouldn't have done so had they not thought the same thing that the guys over at uh, Micro, uh, MicroStrategy were thinking. And I think that that by itself is just as big as the actual buy from MicroStrategy. Yeah, BlackRock sits on the board, I assume, so they had to approve this. I, I, I believe. I'm not into all the behind-the-scenes stuff, but uh, that, that would be that is my theory: is that they not only knew, but they approved of the situation. Otherwise, they would have pulled the plug on it and said no. All right, BlackRock's in the game too. People love to vilify them, but hey, anyone can get into this space. Uh, let's hear as lacrosse. You were about to. You were going to say something there. Yeah. Right? Well, I, I look at it as being like uh, like the four minute mile or the the Fosbury flop, where everybody thought that it couldn't be done, and then somebody 
you know, or talked about it being unrealistic or whatever, and then somebody did it, and then all of a sudden everybody did it. I think that's what you're seeing now where we've been waiting and waiting and waiting for when a really big name institution's going to uh, kind of come out of the closet about owning Bitcoin. And now it's starting. And once it starts, it's it's just going to be taken for granted soon enough that uh, that you should own this, that it's not some crazy scheme. Um, ordinary people who don't understand what a blockchain is, how it works, why Bitcoin is special are just going to know. Bitcoin is legit, number go up, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I wonder if um, Vanguard and BlackRock are, you know, maybe using this to float a trial balloon a little bit where uh, somebody who's not quite so big name can do this and then they can see how, how the public reacts. I, I don't know enough about that world, but it seems like, you know, a possible strategy there where they may not want to come out and be the first to say it, but they know somebody who can. Well, I will say this. The reason it's, it's such a big story for me, and I, I'm I'm sticking with it so far in 2020, I think it's the biggest story of the Bitcoin year because, yes, it, it's uh, they broke the four-minute mile first, but there are going to be plenty of other people that are going to they're going to do it. Uh, it. It is it is attainable and others uh, others will soon do it, I, I, I think. And that that's going to be when everybody, when all of these companies, bigger companies in MicroStrategy are buying 21,000 Bitcoin at a time or over time, it's going to take a lot of Bitcoin off the market. Adam Hoddleberry, what, what do you think about all this? Well, you can actually go on like uh, I was look, looking at CNN business and it tells you like the top 10 mutual funds holding MicroStrategy and I think seven of the top 10 or eight or six or seven of the top 10 are actually Vanguard funds. Um, but the interesting thing to me about Vanguard specifically is that they're a not for profit um, I forget the, the the way that their their business is structured, but it's not like there's a CEO and shareholders. It's like a it's a non for, not for profit investment firm, um, and maybe not a lot of people know that about them. So there wasn't there probably wasn't like one or two guys behind the scenes. It's like it's more of a seems to be like a more of a groupthink kind of um, democracy kind of in, inside the organization. So uh, a little bit different than you know a board of directors or maybe you know like ray dalio is like one guy or warren buffett is one guy who's like making the ultimate decision there so all right now uh before we leave this subject matter because it was I, I'm, I'm glad we all touched on it does anyone else have anything to say about it because we got uh we got a lot to talk about in other subjects all right now adam since we since we have you here you're talking about one guy uh one guy in the news also this week in the bitcoin news was dave portnoy oh man all right but no no i'm starting with you because you know about marketing uh he this is he's marketing it with the winkle eye. it was a very interesting video some people had some issues with it but we've got a lot of bitcoin crypto marketing whatever you want to call it this week not, not just from them but from Ga galaxy digital had it in advertisement obviously we'll talk about the grayscales thing but you yourself you have done Bitcoin marketing on, on your own. You organized uh, over the Jersey Shore the, yeah. uh, the, the, the uh, what, what should I call it? The, the banner with yeah. the, the, the plane. So with that in mind, that you are a marketing expert in Bitcoin, you put your money where your mouth is, you've organized things. What, what is your take on, on, on Dave Portnoy from, from a, a marketing perspective and uh, get, getting people into it? And what did you think about his video with the Winklevi? 
So, well, first, I was kind of disappointed with the way that the Winklevi explained what Bitcoin actually is. Like, I, I thought, I kind of felt like when I was sitting there, like watching them talk about it, and then they started talking about asteroids with gold and, and stuff like that. It's like, <laughs> you're, 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 you're doing like the, the third and fourth order effect kind of argument for Bitcoin before, like talking about the fact that just Bitcoin is just money. Like, just talk about Bitcoin as money. And a sound money and then talk about you know elon musk mining asteroids circling the earth and stuff like that so because when you go when you go into your pitch like that with somebody who has no clue i mean you saw like dave was like this he was like what are you guys talking about <laughs> he had a you know he he was he's first off he's not a real day trader and like he got like popular by being a crazy personality yes as a day trader. So like you're taking somebody who is in the sports journalism world and, and giving him like all this new information. I mean, it's basically a circus right now. And, and the fact that he was able to interview president Trump, the fact that he was able to get the Winklevoss to come to his house, like it's, it's, it's a big shtick. So in one sense, like it was kind of cool to see, you know, some of the, the interest from like the normies. So, so called, but on the other hand, like Winklevoss was saying like, uh, let's put money into chain link or something. Yeah. After I was like, Oh, come on guys. Like, you know, the, uh, and obviously they're doing that because they own an exchange where they sell all the shit coins. But um, yeah. Uh, yes. It, it, a lot of people had a problem when they brought that up, brought up that up. Uh, but that is their business. They, 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 they sell altcoins and whatnot. And yeah, it is one big shtick. Dave is one big shtick, but it's it's going to get the, those sports enthusiasts that happen to be bored and got into stocks. Uh, they're going to learn about Bitcoin. They, these type of normies uh, probably did not uh, know about it as as much as uh, they, they could have in the uh, the recent past. So, Al's Al's lacrosse. What's your your take on this? Yeah, I I definitely agree that I think they made the the usual rookie mistake, which to me was really weird considering these guys own an exchange and do this all day long, explaining it to people um, where, you know, you want to, you want to start jumping into some of the technology and the like higher order things, but that doesn't mean anything to regular people. Um, it is the Bitcoin is sound money is the best argument. Getting into mining asteroids is like, okay, it's not that that's wrong, but I mean, that's, that just sounds crazy to people. And it's also something that probably won't matter for another hundred years at least. Um, but they, uh, you know, they they got the word out there, I guess, which so I'll give them credit for that. They're, even if people don't understand why Bitcoin is a good idea, it does more to uh, to push the idea that this is a real thing. This isn't a crazy thing. I have, you know, last night on Twitter, I, I wrote something that I, is maybe kind of an unusual take on this, but. I, in watching that, it made me somewhat thankful for some of these shitcoin casino exchanges right now because I think maybe that is attracting the uh, the wrong type of, of tech talent that you don't want in Bitcoin. Uh, people who have a lot of coding ability, you know, who have a lot of technical ability but can't see the forest through the trees. They don't really get the big picture of why Bitcoin is is important. Um, and I'm kind of glad that those people are working on nonsense, bullshit coins instead of getting their hands on Bitcoin. Um, you know, in the short term, it's going to get people wrecked, but uh, maybe in the long term, it's better for everybody that they don't they don't wreck Bitcoin. 
Um, I was a little disappointed that they wanted to set Portnoy up with his own coin right away because it just kind of it gives away the game, you know. But as a day trader, that's you know, it's that mentality where it's like you don't give you don't care. Sorry, I almost said something I can't say on this. Um, you don't care what you're selling, you just care does number go up or number go down. Uh, and I it made me think of in uh, one of Taleb's books, he talks about the commodities trader who made a fortune in selling greenwood. Greenwood, yep. Yeah, and he didn't great. know what greenwood was. He just thought it was pieces of wood colored green. Um, but he didn't need to know what it was. He just needed to know when people were going to pay more for it and when they were going to pay less for it. And that's what that's what these guys ultimately do in these in these casinos, um, in in these exchanges. And uh, you know that yes. I, I, we will talk about YAM and DeFi soon yeah. enough because you just you just defined you just uh, gave that very definition right there. By the way, everyone, all these dudes are linked to below. Follow them on Twitter; they're all linked to below. Uh, in honor of Al's lacrosse, I'm growing my lacrosse mullet here just for today. <laughs> and uh, what else do we? There's some. Oh, and pound that like button, of course. All right, uh, David, your 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 take on uh, Portnoy? I made it 15 seconds. <laughs> I was proud of myself that I lasted enough time to get a screenshot because when I, right when I entered that feed, the very first thing I heard was either Cameron or Tyler say something about, well, you see, it's built on Ethereum. And I'm like, oh, yeah, God. Oh, no. I'm like, oh, God, here we go. I'm like, oh, I was like, I'm, and I looked at it and I'm like, it's not even five minutes into this thing and it's already shilling on Ethereum. And then the next thing I heard was Chainlink. <laughs> And honestly, right after that was when the text, uh, the, the comments and st stuff started rolling up. And I just looked over to the left-hand side of my phone and it was like going, this is just a shill fest. And yeah. I captured a screenshot and sent it out with, you know, on Twitter saying something like, oh God, here we go. Now that said, <clears throat> Uh, I went back and forth with a couple of people today on Dave and I've, I, you know, honestly, I didn't even know who Dave Portnoy was until I started listening to uh, Marty Bent and Marty was still working for uh, Barstool Sports at the time. I had never listened. I, I didn't know what Barstool Sports was. I'm still actually trying to figure out exactly what it is, <laughs> but what's clear is that David's uh, David Portnoy is not an idiot. He's uh, probably pretty savvy because I keep looking at what he's built, figuring out that I didn't even know what this thing was. And I thought it was just going to be something like, oh, it's like the onion in its first year. And no, that's not what it is. It's a lot bigger than that. And then you start discovering how many followers he has and how long he's been doing this. And I'm like, oh, no, this this guy's really serious. So he was getting a lot of flack for being an idiot. I'm like, this man is not an idiot. This man is far from being an idiot. Um, now, Cameron and Tyler, the fact that I agree with both uh, with both Adam and Al uh, that, yeah, you start talking about mining asteroids right out of the gate. It's like the discussions that you had at your first Thanksgiving after finding Bitcoin with your family and they're looking at you like you are just in. Yeah. What are you talking about? Yeah. And you, because you go so far, it's like, you know, when you're in the space for any length of time and you really think about it and you actually care, the implications become kind of crystal clear and the implications are like world shaking stuff. So when you, when you understand it, 
and it falls out of your mouth, the first thing that you, the first ears that it falls upon is people who are like, but everything's fine. Yeah. It's a little bit messed up, but I'm sure we'll, we'll get through it. And I'm, and there's no, there's no recovery from that for me. So I, I really do. I think starting with why is it secure? Well, I, I want to say something about uh, Dave Portnoy and Asteroids, by the way. Um, Port, Portnoy, I didn't know who he was either. And you know what? The whole world wouldn't know who he was either if it wasn't for this shutdown. He has yeah. taken full advantage of this situation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he is a smart guy. He is a smart guy. It's only because of government interference that anyone knows that that, that I know who he, I wouldn't know who he was at all. He, he's really he's done well in a bad situation. So congrats to him for being in motion. He's a he's a smart guy. And again, he's got bigger reach than he's ever had before because of this shutdown. And uh, uh, the the ask the asteroid thing. Yeah, it is silly, first of all, because they're not – when asteroids are mined, the gold isn't going to be sent back to the, the planet Earth. It's going to be used for to build more stuff in space. So that was a little weird, but they don't need to know that technical side. I just wanted to add that that the, to send to, – to asteroid mine gold and then to send it back – to Earth is it, it makes no sense at all. It would cost way, way too much money. What you mine asteroids for is to build um, infrastructure in space. It's not coming back down to Earth at all. But whatever, Winkle. It's a good sci-fi little story. And let me, <laughs> let, me, let, me, yes. let me just finish up by saying that the, my final comment on that is that honestly, I think Dave's entry into the space is not only calculated, but it's going to ultimately be good for Bitcoin. That that would be the, my final word on that one. And that is a very good conclusion. Uh, I, I agree. I, I agree on both points that it, it will be good for, for Bitcoin and that he is, this is not such so he's making it seem a little impulsive, but it, this is not impulsive at all. No, not at all. All right. Uh, well, let, I want to stick with marketing real quick. There's someone with a question. We're going to get to the question in a second. But so there, there was more marketing. The Digital Galaxy had an advertisement in the Financial Times. And Grayscale uh, had their advertising on, on, on cable TV, which a lot of people were disappointed uh, with. So, Dave, since we got you uh, there, did you did you see those? Did you did you have any uh, thoughts on them? Yeah, the the uh, paper ad um, is is good. It looks really nice, <clears throat> and it's uh, it's well placed. I, I will I will give it that. They they threw down some bricks bricks of cash on on putting that in there. Now the Grayscale ad. Ooh, that one was rough. I mean, it was really rough. And from my standpoint, it's rough because of the production value. It really showed a lackadaisical, you know, attitude towards production value, which when when you do that at at that level anyway, I mean, I can get away with being a, you know, kind of dippy on Twitter and whatnot, but I am not in charge of $170 billion, right? So when you get up to those, those kinds of cash scales, everything you do reflects on your company. And that even if you, even if the viewer doesn't automatically understand it, somewhere in the subconscious, the question is going to bubble up. This is kind of bad. Do they handle their products like this? I, I thought that the ad was terrible. I thought it was poorly done. I thought I the fact that they didn't even say Bitcoin is like, I don't even know what they're doing. It's just like, here, buy these bags. Be happy. Buy these bags. That's, <laughs> that's I don't know. But uh, ultimately, it'll probably be good for Bitcoin. <laughs> I, I, I think you're right. But their their strategy was is we're, we're advertising on normie financial TV. 
we we're saying we got something new uh and you can kind of buy it the old way that you used to buy stocks so buy this new stocky thing <laughs> and then some people might like it like well i've heard about this digital fancy stuff let, let me, oh now now i know how to get it and now i know the name of the company that actually sells it who, who knows but yeah it, it they didn't say bitcoin didn't no mention of bitcoin if you look closely you can see the word bitcoin but that no one's looking closely uh alza lacrosse your thought on these recent uh Ad marketing yeah, moves. I, I know there's a lot of controversy over Bitcoin marketing and does Bitcoin need marketing um, in a perfect world. Like, I, I do agree that it, it doesn't need it. Um, Bitcoin will be Bitcoin whether or not there's marketing, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't make a difference at all and that it, it won't change the timeline on things. Um, I, I think it's good to see, um, you know, serious firms out there um marketing it because that legitimizes it further you don't have to start the discussion with bitcoin every time as well, wait isn't this just that criminal money or isn't this just a scam um because for how many years have you always had to start the conversation about bitcoin with that uh once we get over that hump now you can start the discussion 10 steps down the road where okay this is a real thing that real financial companies deal in um as far as the details of it looking cheap or bad or them not really explaining what bitcoin is you know, that that is an issue for it will be an issue for some people who don't realize what they're getting into and don't understand um, that there's going to be volatility and all that. Right now, anyone buying it is probably going to think they're a genius a year from now. Um, someone buying in three years from now, six months later, might think that they made a huge mistake. That kind of stuff will have to shake itself out. You know, we'll have to see how that goes. Um, but just getting the name out there in the mouths of major financial companies in major newspapers it lets us start 15 steps down the road or 10 steps down the road whatever i said earlier um where you don't have to say okay this isn't a fake thing this isn't a scam this isn't just criminal money whatever and start having the conversation from this is legit where do we go from here all right Haddleberry, what, what's your take so I, every time i think about bitcoin marketing i think about everyone's a scammer and like why people are putting things out there. And so when I did the, the Bitcoin banner, which I put it, it was, it said want Liberty by Bitcoin. And there was a hashtag at the end, which was Locha mesh, which is a, like basically a nonprofit um, that's making an open source software. Um, but the, the reason why I did that is because I just want to know, I want people to know about Bitcoin and I'm trying to link it to like Liberty and just kind of opting out of the system. And so I, I mean, I came into Bitcoin for the gains. Like I, I came in because I wanted to make money. Actually, the first coin that I ever bought wasn't even Bitcoin. It was Ethereum. I think I bought Ethereum at like $13 and I sold it to like $30 or something like that. Um, I came because I wanted to make money like that. Like I, I'm like, there's, there's no even, there's no way to sugarcoat that. Um, once I, you know, went to the altcoin casinos and lost a bunch of money, that's when I started to actually think about what Bitcoin was. So what I don't like in some of these commercials I've, I've seen, you'll see like, you know, a bull on wall street. I think there was a, another one like a year ago or something. And I'm not so much interested in seeing firms do that. Like I want, I, I want them to, I want to see them do things like, you know, like changing the world in a, in a positive way, because I, because I do believe that there are second, third and fourth order effects of Bitcoin that are super positive. And if, if I'm going to see 
marketing for it. I wanted to, I wanted to be kind of altruistic, not like come to this casino and gamble money and maybe you'll become a you know millionaire billionaire. That that's the thing that bothered me about it. All right. Uh, G GBTC or uh, grayscale, they are, uh, they're not selling Bitcoin. We have to remember that that's, that's very, they're, they're, they're selling some fund that has something to do with Bitcoin. And then they've got one that has something to do with Ethereum and people are not, they're not learning to control their own private key, which is, uh, you know, they're depending on a third party. A third party is, I mean, they're accumulating a lot of Bitcoin. Uh, you got to give them credit for that, but it's, it's, it's a big honeypot they, they've got there. So, Hey, I mean, Barry Silver can do what he wants to do. And, uh, and uh, I, 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 Adam, I, I like your, your, you did a great thing too, man, by, by uh, having that uh, banner over the Jersey Shore. So pound that like button for that. Now, we're gonna. I, I want to get for a question from the audience that deals with uh, custody, which I think uh, I just alluded to a little bit. He says MicroStrategy is huge news, but what's even bigger is that this company wants to hold that much Bitcoin when custody is hard. Do you think? They self custody. All right. So I think there might be regulations around that. So I, I don't know if anybody, anyone on the panel have a, uh, a thought about that question. Is it, do you think MicroStrategy is uh, self custody or do they, I mean, by law, do they have to have a, uh, a third party custodian? Yeah. I, yeah. That, that, so that's, that's a difficult, I'm, I'm hoping that they called in some custodian, experts from some exchanges or a place maybe like unchained capital and they do like a multi-sig and they can help people set that type of thing up because otherwise like there's no way to ensure that like there is with regular traditional money because there's like you lose it and it's gone so um it would be great if they were able to do that and i think that would actually be comforting to some to some other companies who wanted to try to do that like I, i've thought about doing um, self custody for some organizations that I've been involved in and like having, getting them to accept Bitcoin and then setting up key signing, key signing, um, ceremonies and things like that. And so that's something that I'm super interested in. But, um, I, I think if they're holding, what is it? $250 million worth of Bitcoin right now. Um, you've got to assume that they're already calling on some of the security experts because otherwise they're going to get, someone's going to get wrecked at some point. Yeah. I, I, I think they, 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 well, I hope, <laughs> did you guys uh, have any, any thoughts? Yeah, about I'm going to, I'll agree with, I hope um, on the <laughs> one hand, I, I would also like to think, well, you've got to assume if they're going to put that much money into it, they're going to spend a little bit of money on people who are true experts in custody and can explain the ins and outs of it to them. One would think, but this wouldn't be the first time that you've seen people with, you know, we've seen multi-billionaires who should know better make statements about Bitcoin that make it clear that they've never sat down and read the most basic thing about Bitcoin. So, you know, who knows? But um, I, I think they probably did. Although I'll make a prediction now that on this next bull run, somebody really major will probably end up seeing them learn the hard way about how custody works and how you have to handle security. Um, somebody's probably going to lose a ton because they thought they could just uh, have just somebody who works for the company just handle the uh, the private key and didn't consider what that meant. I mean, that that's bound to happen sooner yeah. or later. Al's across. I agree with that point so much, there, dude. And in in, in the bit, it might be a 
it might be an organization and it might be a people really might get i mean it could cause a huge drop in the bitcoin price also when that day comes and it will come someone is going to make a gigantic mistake uh, yeah. uh with custody so i mean be strong hand people i've mentioned this before be be ready for that be be ready yeah, don't don't be shocked when it happens because it's it's going to happen and it doesn't mean anything about bitcoin that we don't know already so don't yeah. be surprised it doesn't mean uh, Bitcoin is hacked and Bitcoin can, uh, but the, the media will, woo, they are going to love it. Uh, oh, yeah. the, bigger, the bigger the name, the better. As we all know, the, the media loves to blow everything out of proportion these days. Okay, uh, David, uh, do you have uh, any thoughts on uh, what we've been talking about? Yeah, like, uh, like my two colleagues over there, I don't know because I'm not part of that party, um, but I'm going farther than I hope so into they damn well better. Because if they end up being the people that are made an example of, if you're the first one to go down, uh, the rest of your stuff is probably not going to recover. It's probably going to be like a toxic asset and it just eats everything after that. So, but what's, what's, what's neat is knowing that the systems that they would really need that really do work are in place, i.e. multi-sig. And you could even have like somebody like Casa come in and not even just basically as a consultant and say, here's, let, let's look at your corporate structure and let's look at your officers and let's set up multi-sig between your officers so that unless all of you die in a plane wreck, and even if you do, your, your Bitcoin is not gone. It's not, it's, it didn't get into a tragic boating accident, let's say. That exists. It's not, I mean, it's not that it's easy, but it's also not impossible. It's something that can be clearly be set up by picking up the phone and saying, I need somebody to come in and hopefully they get somebody of, you know, credible nature like Casa or Unchained or, you know, somebody who knows what they're doing that has a good reputation in the space. Because if they didn't do that, then they very well may be the first to have that tragic boating accident. All right. Pound that like button. Good question there from the audience. Keep them coming. Uh, well, so legitimate organizations, yeah, they they should learn how to legitimately, uh, carefully hold their Bitcoin. Uh, but we've got a story out uh, of a pretty illegitimate organization, a, a terror group. Uh, the Justice Department seizes millions in cryptocurrency from terror groups. And basically, uh, the various terrorist organizations were uh, soliciting uh, Bitcoin and it looks like most of the time they were keeping at keeping it at an exchange. So when pe people are like, well, how, how if Bitcoin's unconfiscatable, how could how could the government, the Justice Department get it? Well, these dudes are freaking keeping total fail on their part. You know, they're, they're storing it at an exchange. Uh, so the, the, these bad dudes out there and they probably are pretty bad dudes. They don't know what the heck they're doing in, in terms of storage at all. So this is this is a lesson. Uh, quite an interesting lesson that the, the, if, if the, it can be traced uh, pretty easily. They were able to track down these people because some of the people giving, sending them Bitcoin were sending from exchanges also. Uh, and it, it is, it's, it's pretty darn confiscatable. If you're storing it at an exchange, it's going to do whatever the government uh, tells you, tells them to do with it. Uh, so uh, Adam, did you have a thoughts on uh, the, that story, which was supposed to scare people into thinking that Bitcoin dealt with, you know, terrorists well first off whenever you see these types of stories i mean even from bitcoin related news sources it's almost as if they're trying to produce fud 
Um, <laughs> I, I, I rarely ever see a story like that. And then like a byline or some kind of caveat in there, like what they should have done was this. It's always, you know, look how bad and how terrible Bitcoin is. And even people in the industry, which is like super weird to me. But yeah, I, a lot of criminals are, are really dumb. Um, I know from experience, the government is also very dumb. So they must have been super dumb to to um, get caught in that way. Because once, I mean, once you have the private keys and I mean, they here's part of the other story, the other part of the story that possibly hasn't been told. Like they may have not been keeping on an exchange and then put some of it on an exchange in order to sell it. And then they got caught when they, just when they did that, as opposed to like, keeping it the whole time on an exchange, but you know, a news story won't tell you something like that, but criminals who get caught are usually dumb. The government's usually pretty dumb unless, unless the criminal is dumber. So um, everybody was dumb, I think. <laughs> All right. And, and a very good point about even, it seems like the Bitcoin news sources try to create FUD. They're definitely trying to create a uh, clickbait. Uh, the, the link that I linked to does go, go into depth and it, it's from the chain analysis guys who helped track them down. So it, it's not exactly creating FUD, but I, I'll, I'd say the CNN story definitely was to create FUD, uh, Coindesk probably. Uh, Al's, Al's across your thoughts. Yeah, well, there's an irony in um, if it is the FUD angle of portraying it as, oh, look, see, criminals use this and it's, you know, they use it to, to be untraceable in a story about how they got caught, you know, um, that's, that kind of undermines the whole angle. Um, it, it goes back to what we were just talking about though, with institutions where you would, you would think that they would figure out what they were doing, um, for these terrorist organizations, that money being, being tracked could literally be a matter of life and death for them. You know, they find out who you're sending it to. That's a drone bomb through the roof of your building. So messing that up could mean that you die. So you would think that they'd be really, really, really careful, but apparently they're not taking their time to be really careful. Um, you'd think that would be motivation enough. But, you know, the whole um, it's criminal money, it's terrorist money thing to me is always I, the first thing I always say to people is, um, you know, you've watched Miami Vice or Bad Boys or any movie with like drugs and gangs and criminals. Right. OK, when they open the suitcase, what's in the suitcase? A bunch of U.S. dollars. All right. Yeah. So do you use criminal money every day when you shop? You know, it's it's money. Yeah. People are going to use it. That, that will happen. So, yes, a, a good reminder right there. But most people don't think logically like that, unfortunately. Uh, David, your, your your take on this story. And I like uh, you're right. It is a life or death thing for them. You think they'd actually use their freaking heads and learn how to do it right. Uh, but OK, David. Yes. Yeah, I'm going to throw on a tinfoil hat here. Um, I think this is also being used. I mean, I'm not saying that it's not true. I, that's not what I'm saying. But what I am suggesting is that in that in that particular story, which I think was a CoinDesk story, um, the the way that the complaint from the Justice Department reads, it keeps saying things like charities disguised as you know terrorist organizations running through Telegram channels. And I just honestly, with the tinfoil hat on, I can't help but wonder if they're spinning up a narrative. You know, they don't like this stuff anyway. Uh, why not use? I mean, they're always going to use either it's for the children or we're combating terrorists, but Bitcoin bad, that kind of thing. And I, I just wonder if things that are like, you know, like a, the use of Telegram is, I don't know, causing protests to occur. And it's like kind of like something where they, they can't control it and they want to control it. So they just toss it in there with, with Bitcoin and 
Bitcoin bad, therefore Telegram bad and, you know, Hamas bad and ISIS bad and everybody's bad, especially if they're using Bitcoin. So, you know, that's about all I can really add to the discussion is that I wonder if it's the if it's the if it's something that has presented itself that they can use. And if the, if they continue the narrative, then I think I'd be right. And if they just drop it in this one off deal, then I'm probably completely wrong. But. I don't know. It's Friday and I haven't had a beer yet. So I'm just. <laughs> well, uh, I, I noticed the telegram uh, uh, mentions in there too. So who knows? Well, uh, since I got you here, David, when you want to talk about uh, Yam and DeFi, what would happen this with that? People bought something they didn't know what they were buying and then it didn't exist anymore. So uh, we'll start off with talking about Yam, but we're going to have to uh, put the lead the uh, conversation into Ethereum 2.0 too, because clearly Ethereum's been doing pretty well this week. So take it away, uh, David. Yeah, yam, yam fest. Can't, I, I, I can't wait. So uh, just to, from what I understand, what happened was that the way that the token was spun up in the contract is that it, there was a proviso in the contract that said, well, if you're going to do anything to the code, you need, you need a quorum. You need this many tokens to vote as to whether or not you're going to be able to crack into the contract and change something. They needed to do that because the bug that they found generated a whole bunch of tokens and they needed to fix it, but it generated on order, apparently 10 to the 18th tokens on its first on, on its rebase at one point, those tokens went to the contract and the contract's not part of a voting voting proxy of the quorum. So the only thing that was left for was for everybody to get into an emergency thing and say, put all your tokens in so that we can ho have a hope in hell of being able to get a quorum so that we can crack this so that we can fix the bug. But the bug generated so many tokens that there was mathematically impossible for them to get a quorum to open the contract to fix the bug. In essence, Yam committed suicide. <laughs> That's actually... It can it committed yamicide, right? And we're going to see this a lot more. We're going to see these things get spun up because this whole project was what zero to twelve days uh, time on target, ten days of dev time, forty eight hours live time, went from zero to one sixty five, back down to zero in under two weeks. And my only question about this is, how the hell did they market this so well? Because if we can crack that, yeah, really, if we can crack that question, then that helps the rest of us. So if if the only thing that comes out of the whole yam debacle is two things, one is Ethereum is a scam machine that is going to get people hurt and continue to get people hurt, and two, how do we use it to market actual projects, real things, Bitcoin and developers, and you know the, these these types of things that we do think is important, because the DeFi, this DeFi thing is going to get so many people so very hurt, so very fast. And yeah. all, it, it's a compression of the ICO fad in 2016 through 2017. It's, it's going to, do you think it'll be bigger than the ICO thing? It'll be bigger. I think, I think it's, I, I think it may be as big, if not bigger, but what I'm really more interested in is the time compression. This iteration is the same iteration we saw in the ICO craze, but that one comparatively took, you know, a relatively long time to roll out. This one 
I woke up and it would DeFi was everywhere in a day. It was. Can, can I ask everybody a, a serious question here? Had you any of you heard of Yam before this happened? No. Yeah, I hadn't either. So where'd all this money come from? <laughs> from what? From what? That again? Well, this is my my huge question about about DeFi in general is. From what I understand, decentralized finance means that I can stake some of my Bitcoin on for some of these tokens, and then that's used to make loans. My question is, who are getting these loans and what are they using them for? Right. Are they buying houses that they wouldn't necessarily have been able to buy because a bank wouldn't give them proper credit? Did they go out and buy a car that they really needed to go and get to work because nobody's going to give them a car loan? Are these legitimate loans? Are these legitimate people? I'm going to say no on all counts, but I don't know. I'm just, this is my gut feeling. So DeFi, in my opinion, is one of the dumbest th reasons to have a blockchain because part of, part of lending, like financing is not broken. People assess risk and they determine whether or not the person is credit worthy, whether or not they want to lend their precious money out. And if there was no risk to it, then everybody would be completely maxing out lending everywhere. But the, but the reality of the situation is there's always risk. And so and when it comes time to pay it back, there needs to be some kind of oracle in, into the blockchain or some kind of person that says, like, OK, this person actually paid paid it back. Otherwise, like you might be able to say, like, from a technical perspective in the contract that if, if this doesn't happen, if people don't put their money back in, then they get this other part taken out. And that, like, that's technically possible, but for in order for you, for there to be any kind of like real, um, ultimate, uh, added value, there has to be a person assessing risk and there has to be somebody who's willing to take that risk. Because for instance, like, what if you said like, well, instead of DeFi, we're going to have, uh, decent like D work where like there's a there's a blockchain that tells me whether or not certain kind of work got done or not. Well, how are you going to do that if like the work is knowledge work or the work is artwork? Like who's going to make the final determination whether or not that was satisfied? So from a technical perspective, DeFi works in that like if you don't put this this money back into the blockchain, then it's then it's not like like the contract could actually work itself. But from like a a macro perspective and actually lending and, and how that type of thing is going to be uh, feasible without a human element. It's really like, there's, there's no way this is going to work long-term. It's, it's such a buzzword right now. I mean, that's, a, it, you just need to throw it on your project and uh, it seems like you, you raise a lot of money uh, real fast. Uh, Al's across. You haven't said anything about this yet. Have you? Yeah. I, I just, um, you know, I used to feel bad that i didn't understand DeFi. i thought i just was too stupid to get it and more and more i'm hearing people who basically you know know their stuff that are like no it this doesn't make any sense um i what really really concerns me is I, i'm thinking back to um you know what happened in 2008 um or like if you watch the big short when they start trying to unravel all these credit default swaps and it's like this is based on the uh, insurance that they owe us, but they're owed this and they're owed this and the people who owe them, owe them, owe them, owe them, owe them. And there's just kind of no bottom to it. And I, I worry with DeFi, have we abstracted whatever the real money is, whatever the real value is out so much into this super complex shell game that we now don't even know where, where the real floor on this is, where the real truth at the bottom of any of this is. 
And is it is it a financial system that even more so than the regular fiat system isn't even no one even knows what it's supposed to be based on. And we're just waiting for someone to figure that out. And the whole thing is just going to come crumbling down. So it's it's quite abstract. Uh, hardly anyone can really understand it. It might not be even be able to be understood. Uh, so is this what fueling Ethereum? Since Ethereum is the uh, the the birther of this, the, the one who it's it, it came from Ethereum. Uh, is this what's fueling Ethereum's pump, or is it the hope for Ethereum 2.0? Uh, I'll stick with you there. Uh, Cross. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, this is what I was saying earlier about the Winklevoss thing, where I, in some ways, I'm glad that this, these uh, altcoin casinos exist to attract talent that might be playing around with Bitcoin otherwise. Um, I think this is what happens when you have the technological know-how to build a coin or, or some sort of blockchain, um, but you don't think of the, the economic and to some extent even philosophical foundations of what you're working on. And you can build a really fancy, shiny toy, but if you don't really get on the bottom principles, what am I trying to do here? You end up with a disaster. I, I think of Ethereum at this point is like, you know, Bitcoin is is somebody invented the internal combustion engine and invented the car. Said, look at this, I can power this thing. And Ethereum was like, well, look, I can make a thing that burns gasoline too, but it doesn't actually do anything. It's just a crazy contraption that burns gasoline. It's like, eh, that's not the same thing. Like there, you have to have some sort of, what are you really trying to get at here? And I think they left so long ago, the idea of what are we trying to get at? And now it's just all the extra doodads they can, they can put on top of it. And it's just this big noisy machine that doesn't do anything. It looks really fancy and complex, but it doesn't do anything. And meanwhile, Bitcoin's this little lawnmower engine and it doesn't look fancy, but it actually does something. Mm. Complexity worship right there. Uh, David, what's your take on uh, Ethereum? Yeah, I think your I think your assessment is correct. I'm going to go with the pump is going on because DeFi, it is very clear that nobody really cares about learning lessons from what happened with Yam. And I'll bet you <laughs> 10 more can fall and it'll be the same thing. And they'll just go, dude, Ethereum pump, Ethereum pump. If they do finally initiate and successfully execute ETH 2.0 on proof of stake and the promise of sharding there, you know, and that one, uh, okay. I'm sorry. Whenever I hear sharding in Ethereum, I think back to the days of Ultima online because that's where that word actually came from. Um, but if they pull it off, you were saying, if they if pull they, it off. If they pull it off, it's just going to enable even more of this crap. It's just, that's what it will be used for. It will be this, this terrible machine rattling down the road like a trucker with no brakes. And when it finally does come to a stop, because eventually something gets in your way. If you're a moving object, eventually something gets in your way. And if you don't have control, you will smack into it. Ask me how I know. Anyway, um, so, yeah, but there's there's one more thing that I, before we before I I'll leave the Ethereum thing because we can take it right back to the to the Yam and, and DeFi in general is I bet you what the answer is that when I ask the following question: Do you have 
a better chance in, in jumping into Twitter or Instagram and finding out where to go buy DeFi tokens than you would be to find out where to go get a loan from the DeFi thing. And oh. my answer is I, I know exactly where to go buy the tokens. I have right. not a clue where to go get a loan. That, but that, that concerns me. Mm. Very good. Very good point there. Uh, Adam. Deep, uh, Ethereum is it, is Ethereum going to the moon because of all these uh, newbies uh, pumping it up? Like I mentioned before, I, I spent my first token money on Ethereum because I thought it was, I didn't understand what it was at all. And I think most people don't understand what it is. Um, you know, it's supposed to be the world's computer and it's supposed to be a Turing complete machine. And, and then, you know, we found out after the Dow hack that you could just roll everything back and, and change it to what you want it to be. And, you know, they want it to be proof of stake instead of proof of work so that it's fairer and doesn't boil the oceans and stuff. And it's like, I think Al's right. Like there's so many, it's all things to all people. And um, I don't, I don't think they know what it's supposed to be. And again, like I, other than like, creating new tokens like what has it actually produced and other than being a casino for gambling what has it actually done like i know what bitcoin has done and continues to do um and then and then on top of that we have the whole pierre trying to actually audit the supply yeah that's a whole other which which is which is it's it's so funny because like the top people in ethereum can't tell you the top people whereas any pleb you know, in Bitcoin can run their own node and they can tell you the supply of Bitcoin and they can, you know, they can verify all the transactions. Whereas, you know, we're basically people are trusting that Ethereum is going to work. And, and I don't think it's necessary at all. I, I got to say, there was a lot of time people spent talking about that subject this week. I didn't even think about bringing it up as I tried to ignore it. How many Ethereum or Ether are really out there? I thought that that one jumped the shark after a while, but I mean, that, that, I, I understand, I understand the main, uh, the main point of that. And uh, I think in, in the Bitcoin space, we just, if you don't like Ethereum, I'd say, you know, state your case and ignore it. I, some people I think waste a lot of time ripping on Ethereum. I think, uh, I don't, I don't think that's uh, th that productive of an endeavor right there. But hey, you know, people are going to do what they're going to do. Manage your time whatever way you want to. If you're a Bitcoiner, there's no like there's no really no reason to, to be involved with it because Bitcoin's the, the black hole of time suck that it takes to understand just that <laughs> subject. It takes all my time. Literally yeah. all my time. Yeah, exactly. Budget, budget your time correctly, dudes. All right. Uh, anyone have anything else to say about this Ethereum thing? Uh, uh, but before we 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 move on, it's uh, it seems like a, a, the, that everyone agrees that a lot the, in, the pumpage is definitely uh, because of the uh, the DeFi interest and maybe uh, the anticipation of uh, Ethereum 2.0 also. All right, now uh, we we talked about uh, or D David, you, you you brought up a very good point, like uh, about the token the, the the DeFi tokens. Everyone knows where to get your DeFi token. Where do you actually get the loan at? Is, if decentralized finance is so great, why are people getting decentralized loans right now? Well, the interesting thing is in, in the cryptocurrency space, Coinbase is now offering, obviously, centralized loans. I mean, they are a Coinbase to offer Bitcoin back loans to U.S. customers. Anyone have a take on that? <laughs> or do I need I to do it? don't 
care what Coinbase does anymore. <laughs> I just, I can't. I'm kind of like, I don't know, you know, running out of gas on stuff like that. Good, good point there. I gotta say, when, you, when we after, when we put it in the perspective of this discussion, I, I if you're gonna get a loan, uh, I'd rather get, get one from Coinbase than from some mysterious Yammer or something like that. <laughs> well, that while that's true, that that's a, a very good point. And what what it just you know made me wonder is is Coinbase an outlet for the DeFi loan? I mean, do we know how their fundage is backed? Did, did it, have they given any parameters as to where that money is coming from? Is it coming from their their own stores of Bitcoin and Ethereum, or do do they have a whole bunch of these? You know, God forbid, comp and Wi-Fi and. Well, I mean, they're they're just backing up the loans with Bitcoin. I think that they're learning out cash. I guess is, is uh, are they rehypothecating customers who are leaving Bitcoin on their exchange to to do that? They could. We I don't know, but because hmm. they're the ones that are hold, holding the keys, ultimately auditability lies with that those people who hold the keys. And if they want to lie as to how much they actually have and rehypothecate. They are free to do so. I think it's a terrible, unethical, immoral practice, and I don't think it should be done. And I think it ends up in heartbreak. But unless you hold your own keys and can verify your own supply, then you don't know, Dick. Yeah. So, yeah, so um, uh, I noticed that on Unchained. I don't know why I'm showing Unchained Capital. I don't work for them, but <laughs> I noticed on their on their website they talk that they don't do rehypothecation and like it's a multi sig setup. And it's it's not DeFi. It's like less. It it's basically just um, it's a it's a custodial kind of situation where you give up partial control of your of your Bitcoin during that time period. And and I think that's that's probably a, a better way to go. Um, that like you're actually like they're taking on the risk and you're taking on some risk as well. And it's it's a much better situation than like it's not a shell game and it's not like it, there's, there's not the opacity that there is with like this DeFi thing. And, and, and Dave's uh, point about like, where are the actual loans? Like who's making the loans to whom? Like I, I haven't, I haven't seen that. Like I, I have no, no people who have actually done that in real life or on, on Twitter. Yeah. I have, I have yet to see a single tweet that says, man, I got my DeFi load today and here's all the good it did. Haven't seen a single one. I know where to go get the tokens, though. Hey, I, we, we've got a comment over here in the uh, comment section, which actually relates to everything that we've been just talking about. And uh, kind of the, well, I, I, I'll read it. Bring your Bitcoin to Ethereum, wrap it, and forget about your useless Lightning Network. Now, the hilarious thing about that is you that is a horrible thing to do, an absolutely <laughs> brutally horrible thing to do. Why anyone would do it, I don't know. You're like, hey, some third party, I'm giving you your my Bitcoin. And in return, I'm going to trust you're going to keep my Bitcoin and not lose it. And you're going to give me some token on Ethereum that says I own Bitcoin. It is one of the most – and then they compare it to Lightning Network somehow. It's the most, one of the most ridiculous things out there right now. And I don't like the bash Ethereum, man. Um, but th Bitcoin. that is it's one of the silliest, ridiculous things. People are, look how much Bitcoin is on Ethereum now. It's not on Ethereum. Some dude is holding your Ethereum Bitcoin for you and for and has created some token to represent it on Ethereum. It's it's all about trust. 
it's so silly. It's so weird. Anyone have a take on that? It's it's for people who don't know better. It's a ridiculous narrative. I mean, think about what essentially the argument for Ethereum has become. Oh, no, no, we're very valuable. We're better than Bitcoin because you can use it to transact in the thing that has value, which is Bitcoin. Like, think about that argument for a little bit. Like that makes no sense at all. I don't I don't get this whole oh we've got all this Bitcoin locked up on Ethereum, therefore it's great. Like, well, what do we need you for? We've got the Bitcoin already. You know how much Bitcoin's locked up on Bitcoin? Like it's it's all Bitcoin all the way down. So yeah, it's, I don't it's get all it. Bitcoin's all the way down. Here, here the thing about RAP BTC, I covered it this morning, was that there is no Bitcoin on Ethereum. It no. doesn't <laughs> exist. It's it it the the argument falls short falls to pieces immediately because you can't put Bitcoin into Ethereum. And it is exactly what you said, Adam. It's like somebody who's holding your actual Bitcoin and they have to hold it on the Bitcoin chain through their keys that controls their wallet. And then they've issued this quote unquote wrapped BTC and it's a marketing ploy. It's an IOU. Is this, is this a big innovation? An IOU, you could have an IOU with the mafia for years and years now. So come on now. It's this is this is nothing. You're gonna give a Bitcoin is this incredibly valuable asset. And for some reason you're gonna trade it for an IOU on Ethereum. I I I do not get it at all. I don't get it at all. With a lightning network, I mean there can be like you know, force close channels and then you get your Bitcoin back. Like it's not locked up anymore. Whereas on Ethereum, I, I don't know what would happen if nobody knows what happens. On yeah. <laughs> See, to, to me, this seems like another example of you understand how to do something technologically doesn't mean that it makes sense in the bigger picture, which is like everything now on Ethereum that I know about at all. Like it, it all. OK, well, what if we did this and this and this? Oh, yeah, that'd be cool. We can code that up. OK, but why are we doing that? Like they, next question, like that, that that's so awesome. The way you freight pound that freaking like button. You're that you could do a lot of awesome things, but just because you could do a lot of awesome things doesn't mean you have to do it. I mean, there there is a why, and and why does ever why do people want to participate in it? All right, all right. I, I, now let let's mm. let's move on to the the final topic. Uh, we were talking about governments before. Let's let's talk about governments again. This is, I mean, this news isn't exactly news. It's, we're one day closer to FedCoin. How about this? Federal Reserve is experimenting with a digital dollar. So, okay, we know the levy is going to break soon, and there are going to be all sorts of countries that are going to say, yep, we've got our central bank digital currency here, and we're going to force our people onto it, et cetera, et cetera. So do, do, you, do you guys uh, – I'll start with Adam. Do, do you have any thoughts on uh, – on this news story that the Federal Reserve is, is experimenting with the digital dollar, does does it really make a difference? I mean, we're going to get to FedCoin eventually. They, they, I mean, they say they say they're rushing it now because of uh, the virus. They they want to you know be able to pay people faster or something. So I'm I'm trying I'm trying as best I can. Talking about tinfoil hats, I'm trying as best I can to not become like obsessed with you know every news story being part of some like globalist agenda. You know taking over the world and, and some nefarious purposes in the back room and stuff like that. But like, but the fact that we have like a coin shortage in the middle of a pandemic, all because, you know, people aren't going to stores and, and like that, that doesn't make sense to me. I yeah, mean, I maybe like, you know, maybe it's like temporary or, you know, maybe I don't understand like the, the, the game theory, the economics behind like coins changing hands during like normal business transactions and stuff. But like, 
the idea that um, like we have that type of thing, like and, and push and then combining that with FedCoin, like pushing everything digitally. Um, I'm starting to see like there really is a war on cash now, but for but it, which is kind of weird because so that's to me that's like a liberal, like statist kind of um, move, right? So we're trying to move everybody so we can track every single transaction, so we can tax every single dollar, and we're in complete control. But then I have we have a city like Philadelphia, um, which like they made it uh, illegal for biz- for local businesses to be all uh, all cashless. So you have to accept physical cash, uh, and that, that w- then they're also a very liberal city. So it's like, but they're doing it for you know social justice reasons, so that the the person who doesn't have access to banking would actually have um, a means of paying you know their local you know corner store or whatever. So uh, if like I said before, like governments are not very smart, but they know that they should be doing something. So I, I think they're moving toward that way. I'm trying not to be conspiratorial, conspiratorial, that's the word, I guess, about it. But um, if they were going to do anything, that would be the first step. Like, you know, make FedCoin and then Bitcoin is like the illegal one. And, you know, aren't you patriotic? Don't you support FedCoin, Uncle Sam's coin? Um, you know, I could see it going that way. But either way, there's there, we're, we're moving to an all digital economy in some way. It's just, are we going to move to Bitcoin or are we going to move to ecoin? I think we can, I think we can have both. I think the smart people will stick with the Bitcoin and there'll be a lot of followers who will gladly like, oh, I can get my welfare check now with uh, or, or my, my UBI with this awesome FedCoin. Yeah, I love it. Uh, the tinfoil hat, uh, David, your, your thoughts. Yeah, I was a uh, funny story about this. Uh, I first I spent pretty much all of July in uh, southwestern Colorado. And that was where I first came up against the the whole coin shortage thing. I was walking into Durango uh, or to a barbecue joint down in there in Durango. And the first thing I saw was a sign on the door that said, dude, there's, we don't have any spare change. So it's either exact, exact uh, spare change or please put play with, uh, pay with the credit card. I, I took a picture of it clearly because I'm like going, what's, what's going on? And then I saw more and then it became very evident over the next 48 hours that some issue that I had missed some issue. And so I dealt with it while I was in, in uh, Durango. And then when I got home, I took my two kids to Michael's. Uh, it's a hobby store, sort of like Hobby Lobby kind of thing. And the one that's in the town closest to me flat out won't take cash. There's a sign that says be due to the spread, due to cash being able to spread the, the roan Okay, well, I don't want to say the words. I don't want the filter to think. <laughs> but um, the, due to that, we're not accepting cash. It is credit card only. And I took a picture of that because now it's getting it's getting weird. And then we have the Secretary of the Treasury, Mnuchin, begging for spare change on a street corner that is Twitter. And all this together, you know. And now they're talking about this this Fed coin. So here's what I here's the way that I see it playing out. I hope I'm wrong, and I probably am, but they're gonna they're gonna do the narrative on uh, cash spreads disease. Cash is bad. I'm sure they'll bring terrorism and for the children into it sooner or later, and then they'll uh, inflate this narrative about we're gonna do Fed coin better than Bitcoin. It's gonna be on a blockchain. Blah blah blah. 
And then all of a sudden, one day they'll come out and say, we've, we've decided that the United States financial system and the way that it is structured has always been superior. And we're just going to go with that. That I, I don't know why I say it that way, but I just have a gut feeling that this is just some kind of hand waving thing to get people. Oh, well, look, they're going to do what Bitcoin does. They're going to do what the blockchain does. And then all of a sudden nothing is going to change and they're going to stay with exactly the same kind of rails that they have, except this time there won't be anywhere close to as much cash. That's what I think. All right. Tinfoil hat. No, uh, they, that's, that's good stuff. Let's go. Uh, uh, Lacrosse, Al's Lacrosse, your take mm. on uh, FedCoin and, and yeah. not having your change anymore. It's insane. I, I'm a little bit excited, actually, about the uh, the possibilities for political realignments that might generate um, strange bedfellows and all that. Um, I think you may see different segments of society who haven't always seen each other as friends. Um, once the word gets out that, hey, they're creating a panopticon and they can look at every single thing that you do, every transaction you make. Think about who that's going to make allies out of, both in rural areas and in inner city areas. People who you might not have thought of as buddy-buddy are all of a sudden going to both be going, yeah, I don't want that. I, I definitely don't want the uh, the police being able to look at every single thing that I buy ever. Um, I think there will be an attempt at that narrative of, see, this is just like Bitcoin. Uh, but I, I think we may be past the point of no return on scarcity rearing its head um and it's not going to be able to replicate that um because it's just it's too tempting for the government to just always print whenever they want to print and the problems that are inherent with that are going to come along whether or not it's a digital currency and i i think people are going by the time that really goes in full-blown um you know widespread digital currency i think people are going to understand the value of bitcoin versus something that is infinite printing so then it's going to be a hard fight to try to to try to reel that back in because i, I they're they're going to want the narrative to be about settlements and look we can do it just the way that bitcoin can which will be true to a certain extent um but that's not the real value prop of bitcoin in my opinion and in, i think in everybody's opinion who's here so they're gonna have a hard time fighting that but they'll try all right. Well, we've, we've reached the end of this glorious show. And so I want to give everybody an opportunity to mention a story that was left out or to promote themselves or to do ever, anything they want to say. So uh, we'll start with Adam. What, what's on your mind? Well, I figured that the world doesn't need uh, uh, the world needs one more Bitcoin podcast. So I'm going to start my own podcast. <laughs> um, actually, I used to have a, a very uh, a, a gun podcast in the past. Um, but it wasn't very good, but this time I think this will be better. But anyway, um, so I'm going to be starting a podcast and it's going to be called uh, faith over fiat. And it's not going to be talking about like, you know, current news or, or getting really technical, but I want to, there's a lot of Bitcoiners in the space that have very closely held, um, either religious beliefs or ethical beliefs or life philosophies that align them with Bitcoin. So, you know, a lot of people believe in Bitcoin because they believe it's good for the world. They believe sound money is a positive thing, either in a religious aspect or just from a human ethical perspective. And so I already have a, a bunch of um, pretty popular Bitcoiners lined up to talk about their faith or their philosophy. I actually have an atheist ready to go as well to talk about how their personal 
uh, beliefs inform their their opinions about Bitcoin. So it's called Faith Over Fiat. I haven't even put up a website yet, but um, I'm hoping to launch it within the next month. Dude, pound that like button. You're in motion, and that is a very interesting spin on a new podcast. That is, I, I like it. Very, very good, uh, very good marketing right there. They, the, all these dudes are linked to below, by the way. So follow them on Twitter, and uh, we'll go to uh, David next. Human tokens. I just want to say a couple of these, a couple of things about this. Uh, you're going to start seeing a lot of them, and a human token is just me putting myself as an ERC twenty on the Ethereum chain and shilling myself. And why I think that this is dangerous is is because, like, I my Twitter account is ancient as far as Twitter is concerned. I guess it's like I think I got it in 2010. I have like 35, 3600 followers. Right, I've seen people put up a Twitter account that has like I don't know some 18 year old hottie in the as an avatar and all of a sudden and, and like there was one that i saw like two months ago that already had ten thousand, and even if she bought him i don't you know or, or he bought him because we don't know who this is but what i'm saying is that it's very clear that the human spirit or the the human failings of you know beauty and all that kind of stuff is going to be a mess when people there's one there's a human token called like it's like cash tag adam and then there's another one that's cash tag keenan and these guys basically put themselves up put their pictures up and their tokens went from zero and one was trading at like like 17 bucks or something and it ended up representing a fairly large market cap and they just spun it up i think what's going to happen is that they're going to marry this with putting the super hot 18 year old chick as an avatar into twitter and it's, and and the DeFi thing is just going to filter and percolate down into every pore possible. Every crack it will fill every crack, every pore. So if you see somebody saying, "Hey, I'm shilling my own token," and you're going to be able to get this, this, and this with it, I honestly stay away. The simp-based economy. Oh, found <laughs> that like button. That is oh, oh man. We should end the show just with that. That's a great line, man. Just freaking horrible. So uh that's all I'll say about that. Be careful. Uh you'd follow me on Twitter at, at B-E-N-N-D77. Uh podcast name is Bitcoin and and it's usually daily unless something really weird happens and I cover the, I will read you the news so that you don't have to, so you can drive in the car and do other things. And we, and then I talk about a few, you know, a few other things, but I'm not, I am not at all doing interviews or anything like that. So there's so many people doing that, but nobody's reading the news. So I, I decided to do that. All right. Follow him. He's linked to below. We will end it uh, with, with Al's lacrosse. I'm, I'm got, I got my stick here. I'm, I'm ready to play. All right. All right. Wait, 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 great, great debut on this show, dude. You're awesome. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, follow uh, follow lacrosse, real real lacrosse coaches. I can't tell you much about it. Um, so I have Dirtbag Friday, which is a uh, video chat. It's basically a meetup um, every Friday at 6 p.m. Pacific time. Um, you can contact me or any of the, the well-known dirtbags, and we'll get you set up with that. Um, very, very lightly moderated open discussion forum. We talk about all kinds of things. Um, then my, my podcast, the Alzlax podcast, which is pretty new, um, focuses on 
what's coming in the world and in some ways how Bitcoin is going to shape that world. Uh, I'm not going to be doing a lot of talk about technical aspects of Bitcoin or, or what's going on in DeFi, that kind of thing. Um, but more civilizational things, um, big picture, legal things, historical things. Um, maybe we discuss religion a little bit. Um, like Halbert was saying, it's a really interesting topic to me. I'm not a religious person, but I find it fascinating. Um, and uh, and how Bitcoin will help uh, will help the world change and get better. And you know, are are we going to have citadels which are people hold up waiting to kill everybody else? Or citadels, which are flourishing societies, that sort of thing. So you can check both of those things out and check me out at Twitter. I'm lacrosse underscore Al. Um, I'll also be hosting the the closing ceremonies at Bitblock Boom this year. Going to be doing the Al's Lacrosse Awards, basically like a spoof Oscars. That'll be pretty fun, I think. So, so you will be there in person in Texas? Yes, I will. Good. We need in-person in events. Yes, Bitcoin is bringing it back to the world, to show the world. You don't have to be scared of being near other human beings. What a world. All right, dudes. Thanks a lot, guys. That's it. You get this show every Friday. Who knows what time it comes on? Well, you got to watch. I do a new show every day. So that's how you figure out when the next show is going to be on. And yeah, I'm TechBalt on Twitter, T-E-C-H-B-A-L-T. Subscribe to the backup channel. That's where we do the Saturday show. All right. Thank you, guest. I'm the Bitcoin Meister, this Rupp Meister, Adam Meister. That's my real name. Subscribe to the channel. <laughs> Pound that like button. Shabbat shalom, everyone. And we will see you tomorrow night. And, of course, this show will be uh, back next Friday as usual. So.